We want to continue our worship this morning by looking at 1 Peter chapter number 1. If you'll turn there with me, 1 Peter and chapter number 1. And beginning in verse number 17, I'll read through verse 21. This is all one sentence. We want to look at it as a whole as we break its parts down. Verse 17, And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the traditions from your fathers, we'll make sense of that when we get there, but you have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily, truly was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope might be in God. This section, this sentence as we have it here, as it's structured, forms another block of information or instruction And in it, we notice that Peter continues to unfold his knowledge and understanding of our salvation. He says some things here that he hasn't said before, and he said a lot already about salvation. His hearers, those who are listening to this book read or are reading it, have a degree of knowledge and understanding about their salvation but have not thought out the truth about their salvation sufficiently. Life's difficulties have distracted them away from the single most significant gift that anyone could ever receive, and that is eternal life. Peter goes deeper here in verses 17 through 21 into the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ, specifically his redeeming blood that has consecrated us or set us apart as holy ones who belong to God and to his service. The blood consecrated you as belonging to God. And so he begins in verse 17. He says, and if you, and if you, you who are identified already by Peter with four different terms that he has used, you, 
You who are strangers, you are elect, you are the obedient children, and you are holy people. You. This is who Peter is speaking to. He's not writing to the lost. But to you who profess to be the people of God. His last description of us, or the way he identifies us, was as holy. We are holy. We are a holy people. We have been set apart for sacred use, God's use. And we are to be engaged in the activity of personal holiness. That is, we are setting ourselves apart from the world unto the service of our God who has redeemed us. Peter is writing to those who are in this category. But we know that from our study up to this point, they have declined. The people he's writing to, they, they have forgotten who they are and the great price that was paid for them. They've not abandoned God, but they've definitely declined and forgotten what God has done. Go to Second Peter, his follow-up letter, where he establishes and clarifies things he wrote earlier. He makes this observation here in Second Peter, in chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. He says, For if these things be in you that he has just mentioned about virtues, he's outlined them there, if these things be in you and they are abounding in you, notice they're not just in you, they're actually growing in you. These things will make that you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things that he has mentioned in verses 5 through 7, he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Is it possible to forget what God has done for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was the condition. The context of this letter that Peter is writing. They've not abandoned God. They've not apostatized. They've forgotten what God has done for them. And the result, it has weakened their faith in the midst of the difficulties and the trials of life. And so he says to them, and if you, you who are, and he's identified them, if you, call on the Father... If you call on the Father. He's implying here they, they still speak his name. 
They still see themselves as God's children. They still cry out in their distress for his help. They still pray to him as their father. There's still a measure of familiarity with him, even in their declension and backsliding. They're still somewhat confident they have a relationship with God. You call on the father, and if you call on the father. So Peter sees these brethren as needing to be aroused out of their slumber. His exhortations that he's given in verses 13 through 16 are a constant call to all who are distracted and discouraged and have declined to get back to a strong spiritual life. And he outlines for us the five necessary steps to recovery and revival of our soul. He's done that. And here in verse 17, Peter uses two concepts, two ideas that function like sentinels, like guardians that help to keep us on the straight and the narrow path. And the first concept or idea that he brings to our attention as the sentinel to keep the mind constantly remembering, as he says, that the Father is the one who judgeth. Who judgeth. And so this is a serious matter to contemplate. The Father judgeth. The Father, our Father, is our judge, is what Peter is telling us. And then the second sentinel, and we'll look at these in a little more depth, but the second sentinel that he, that guards the narrow way for us is fear. Fear. Judgment and fear are guardians of our path. (laughs) They will help us get to the end well, so Peter brings these two ideas before us for our consideration and our preservation. The Father who judgeth. So Peter is starting or stating here in verse 17 a couple of important facts about the judgment when he's, and the Father, we call on the Father, you who are the people of God, the holy ones, and so on, you who with, who call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth every man according to their work. This is something that is seen as important to keep in mind as we journey. Our Father judgeth. The Father will judge his children as well as all humans. No one escapes here in this general sense of the Father's oversight and management of judgment. And so we need to keep this in mind as we live in this present world. He judgeth. This strong verb is speaking of God's actions. 
God our Father will hold all people accountable. All people, including his children, for their work. Accountable for our work. You would think that would be a verb. It's not. It's a noun. Every man's work. In other words, we, we are the workmen of our life. We are the ones going about living our life, our own life. Judgment only reveals what we've done with our life as workmen. We can neglect opportunities to serve God. We can squander resources that are given to us from God. We can engage our time, our energy, and resources into vain things that do not glorify God. But we are our own workmen. It is our work that will be brought into judgment. Almost seems to conflict with, go back to Ephesians. We know the Bible doesn't contradict itself. We just have to work out a clearer understanding of those passages. Look at chapter 2 in Ephesians, verse 10. Ephesians 2, verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship. We, God's people, are his, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, established in him before the foundation of the world, unto good works, which God hath before ordained and designed that we should walk in them. Now, Peter is not saying something different than Paul is saying here. Verse 10 here states that we are God's workmanship. We are being made by him and for him. This work of God is constructed as we do good works that were preordained by God for us to do. And as we walk in them, there is beauty and rhyme to all the events that occur in our life. And so we have a direct relationship and responsibility to what God has foreordained that we ought to do. He pre-designed the good works. Now we must take responsibility and be the workmen of those good works. Peter and Paul are saying... The same thing here. So this statement that Paul is making doesn't conflict with Peter's. We are our own workmen. And as we follow God's word and by faith we submit and practice his will, we will be identified as God's faithful servants. Jesus had a lot to say about that in the coming judgment. That we would be 
the faithful servants of God. And so we do this, not without the word and spirit in our life. We are not workmen without those resources. We, we need the word and we need the spirit in our life to be workmen, but we are the workmen. <laughs> That's what Peter is saying. We will be held accountable for our work. Not He's not referring to your actions. He's referring to your responsibility as a workman to build and construct your life. And our workmanship will be judged by our Father. He's left us the blueprint. He's left us a list of the works to be done. And while we may try to blame others for not being a good workman of our spiritual life, it's not going to hold up in judgment. We may make excuses why we are not a good workman with our life, but they will not be received by God in the day of judgment. As God's children, actually, we are glad to know that our Father is our judge. Because he judges without partiality, without respect of persons. And we find great comfort in the reality of that, the knowledge of that. God uses the same metric standard for every person. Judgment is God, and the word judgeth me. God sorting through all the details of our life and separating out of our life the work we've done that glorifies him. Only God can do that. This is a vast subject when we think about it. It includes many things. Our obedience of faith is central to the work we're, we're building, right, out of the materials that God has given to us. What are the materials of your life? Your life has come already with materials, right? Your life, certain things make up your life. These are the materials. What are you doing with the materials? What are you building with the materials? This is your work. As a workman. Some have more. Some have less. Some have one kind. Some have another kind. But God has arranged our life. And he's given to us certain goods to build with. And you can't say that I don't like the material God has given to me. I don't like my life, so I'm not going to do anything with it. That's not the way it works. We are responsible, every child of God. We are workmen of our life. And we will be brought into, given account of the work that we have done. And this is what our Father will judge. Bottom line is that we will all give an accounting for our life and it will be measured by what was given to us, nothing more, nothing less. No one is given a special treatment in the judgment of God. 
some may seem like they have certain advantages because of the material they are given that make up their life. But the judgment itself simply determines what you did in the building of your life with the materials that have been given to you. And that's a wonderful thought because you can be a very simple person with limited gifts and you work you worked hard at what God gave you. Can be more advantageous in the day of judgment than those who had many gifts and squandered them. God is extremely fair when he will bring us into judgment for our work of what he has entrusted to us. And so our skill as a workman is determined by our obedience of faith or being a faithful steward of what God has given to us. He gave some to a certain amount, to some gave a certain amount to others. In the day of judgment, what did you do? Were you faithful with what you had? And so he rewards accordingly. We are confident as the children of God, that our Father is righteous in his judgments. And as read a moment ago, by, by we take great comfort in the judgments of God because we know he's righteous. We know he's fair. We know that he's provided us with all of the resources that we need to be an effective workman of the materials that he's entrusted to us that make up our life. Of course, we know, according to the word, that God has given this authority to judge to his son who will carry out the judgment of God's children and their work. And he will also be the judge of every human as the workman of their life. The criteria for both judgments will be the same. Notice what Peter says. Go back to First Peter in chapter number 1, verse 17. He does this without respect of persons. No one has any advantage here. And he judgeth according to every man's work. According to every man's work. The work determines rewards for God's people as well as the degree of punishment for all who are not God's people. The books are open in Revelation (laughs) And what happens? They're all judged by the works that are recorded in God's book. All of us. If we're in the Lamb's book of life or just the book of life, we are all judged out of those things that are recorded concerning our works. And so both God's children and the world as a whole, they will all be judged accordingly. Judgeth, he's focusing on the process here for sorting through and separating everything and determining what was done in his children's lives that brought glory and praise to his name. Jesus taught this, didn't he, in in Matthew in chapter 5, and he tells us we are to be certain kinds of people, and he even says salt and light and 
And, and that we are to take all of these things that are our advantages as the children of God, and we are to bring glory to God through our good works that we live in this world, live it out in this world. And so he uses good works there. Same word that Peter uses, it's a noun, meaning you are a disciple his, who is a workman of good things. This is who you are. This is how God is glorified. By you understanding, you're a workman. And being a workman brings glory to his name. A workman. Paul gives us some added insight in how this actually happens. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. When you go on there where Danny was reading out of Revelation chapter 1 into that next description of Christ, we are overwhelmed by how he in his glorified state is represented to us. And one of the things that we recognize that John sees when he looks upon the glorified Christ is he has eyes that are flaming with fire. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth and holding spiritual leaders accountable here, especially as builders on the foundation of people's salvation. There's only one foundation that can be laid, and that, of course, is Christ. But, you know, how people build on that is mentioned here, beginning in verse 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, and this this is ministers, but this is you. (laughs) You are a workman as well. How are you building on the foundation of your salvation? So we're all brought into this. Now, if any man build upon the foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, all these products can be Used, every man's work shall be revealed, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire will try every man's work of what sort it is. So there's a lot that makes up our life. How do we sort it all out? Well, thanks. I'm grateful. You ought to be, I don't judge you, you don't judge me. I can't even judge myself, Paul said. (laughs) I can't even sort through all of the inner being of my motives. It's impossible. Only God knows these things. So in the day of judgment... It's like those eyes of fire of our Redeemer now in his glorified state is is able to pierce every one of us instantly. And all that has been done for selfish purposes is consumed. And only that which remains is that which was done for the glory of God. Now, that includes a lot of things, of course. God is glorified in good marriages. God is glorified in good parenting. God is glorified in good church members. God is glorified in a lot of different things. 
but only that which was done to glorify him survives. The fire will reveal what sort it is. What sort what is? The work that was built on the foundation. And while I understand that in a very personal way here, Paul is giving us it in such a a manner that we can understand it as also relating to every man's work of what sort it is. We are all workmen of our own life. And we need to remember as we go about life that we are not just Joe and Tom and Sally and Mary. We are the temples of the living God. And he talks about the warning against defiling the temple of the living God. You are a sacred vessel purchased by the blood of Christ. You belong to him. He'll say it in chapter 6. Don't you remember you were bought and purchased with a price? Glorify God in your body and spirit, which are his. They belong to him. So we are workmen. We have been given certain materials to build our life. And all of that will be tested. All of it will be tried by fire to see what sort it is. Everything that we have done, the obedience of our faith, all of our activity, our actions, whatever we have done, all of our attitude, motives, words we've spoken, do you realize all of that is going to be under those piercing judgment eyes of Christ that consumes all out of us? That has not been done for the glory of God. So everything is subjected to the fire, not to destroy us, but to purge us. What a blessed state that will be. As painful, maybe even shameful. The Apostle John writes about that in his first epistle, chapter 2, being brought to shame when Christ comes. There will, there will be a lot of embarrassment in all of our lives in those moments. And yet in the end, we will rejoice because we know that God is righteous in his judgments. And we will accept it and embrace it without any question. Because he knows. He knows what we've done. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Another good parallel text here. Colossians 3 In verse 17, we're we're speaking about the importance of living our Christian pilgrimage in the reality that we will be brought into judgment. That's a good thing. It holds us accountable for what we're doing today and what we're going to do tomorrow. Because it will all be brought into judgment. He says here in Colossians 3, wish we had time to go through more of it, but look at verse 17 and then we'll skip down to verse 23. 
He says, and whatsoever you do, okay, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Do all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks. And then he talks about wives and husbands and children and fathers, all of these areas of life where we can actually do the good work of a workman and bring glory to God in those realms. And then he, verse 23, he says, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Know that. He will reward you for your good work. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And with God there is no respect of persons. So a similar, a similar vein of thinking in Paul's writing to the church at Colossae that we find in 1 Peter. So, do you see the benefit of the judgment? Being judged, knowing that the Father who's done all these things for you by his mercy and grace, poured out abundant mercy on your life. He has, by grace, promised you eternal life. He's provided all the means to bring you to that end. And now in life, he gives you a responsibility to take your life and the materials that are given to you and to be a workman with it, knowing your work will be judged. And only that which was done for the glory of God will survive that fire. Does that impact you as you live out your day? Does that change how you view your life as a pilgrim in this world? It should. And so that's sort of a, a guardian, a sentinel that is placed with us as we journey. We are being reminded there is a coming judgment. The second one, and we'll be brief on this, is, is fear. Or living with the right kind of fear. This is not servile. This is not slavish kind of fear. This is filial. This is uh, intimate, personal. The right kind of fear will protect us from straying off the straight and narrow path that leads to eternal life. Holy fear is what Peter is speaking of here, is a great influence that helps us in our devotion to God. In a sense, we, we know our Father is an uncommon Father. He is the God of the universe. There is no one like our God who is our father, but he doesn't neutralize, X out, exclude his being God simply because he's your father. He is still God. 
And that ought to be something that just causes us to pause and think for a moment. Who our God is. Uh, look at Second Corinthians briefly, if you would, in chapter number six. We've read this several times, and we'll keep reading it because it's in this matter where Peter's at right now. It's a very important passage. Second Corinthians in chapter number six. This is where we we are being called as believers to be more holy, to be more separate. Like God is separate from the world and all things of his creation. We are called to be like God, to be holy like he is holy, and to separate ourselves personally from things that are not in keeping with God. We have to be careful what we embrace and love and entertain ourselves with in this world. And so Paul writes to the Corinthians, a very carnal group of people. I mean, a very weak, immature. They're called babies in Christ. And he writes to them, Be ye not unequally yoked together, beginning in verse 14, with unbelievers. Don't entangle your life with those who are not believers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What Concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. He wrote about that, remember, in first letter, first Corinthians three and six. You are the temple of God. The living God. Did not God say that I will dwell in them? I will walk in them? I will be their God? They shall be my people? God is with you where you go. He's not just up in heaven observing where you go. He's in you where you go. By his own eternal spirit, he dwells in us. So the conclusion is, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and you will be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. What? What an invitation and privilege is given to us. So he then adds a final exhortation here in chapter 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Here is the personal engagement in your own holiness. In your own separating things out of your life that don't belong there. This is a personal duty. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. And perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting means to 
to further advance toward its completion. We, we won't reach full holiness in this world. But we ought to be actively engaged in further advancing our holiness in this world. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Under that reality of who God is and what he has accomplished for us. So this guardian and friend of fear, as well as judgment, we are called to journey through this life as strangers, elect, obedient children, holy people. And this is no easy task. But God has supplied all that we need, including his power through faith, to succeed and become the people he has called us to be. And he's stationed along our path these two reminders like sentinels who will help us on our journey. The children of God are to live with the reality of judgment to come. All of us who are the children of God are to live as workmen, constantly workmen who take the materials that have been given to their life, whatever it would be, relationships and and experiences of life, you take these things and you, you will give a full accounting for how you have taken these materials and built on the foundation of your salvation. Our goal every day ought to be to be a faithful workman. And we are to live with holy fear. Fear of offending our Father, who has shown to us his abundant mercies. Fear of losing fellowship with our Father. Fear of despising his gifts and benefits. Fear of our, of, of, of our position and things that are given to us as we pass through this world. Fear of the world's ability to take our life and to rob it of its usefulness and benefit, and fear of the tendencies of our own flesh. We should fear everything that threatens our walk with God. Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Sin is a, a, a disease that is everywhere around us, and it is in us. And there's no place we can go to escape its influence. The writer of Hebrews makes this observation in chapter 3, where the writer says this, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Faith living brings glory to God. It will bring your life and mature your life and move your life, further advance your life toward holy living. Faith will do that, but unbelief, unbelief will lead you in departure from God. But rather, exhort one another daily. Look at each other's lives. Let's challenge each other to this end. Let's become responsible for each other. 
But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sins. Every one of us run the risk every day of decline. We need, we need to be personally willing to speak into each other's lives and say what needs to be said. And so for this reason, Peter has written to us here in verse 17, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. So these are two dispositions, right? These are dispositions that we need to have in our life as we journey through this life. Do we want to protect our life, our spiritual life from decline that had happened to so many in Peter's day. That's why he's writing what he's writing. Do you want to recover your life? Do you want to then maintain and sustain your spiritual life and keep it from declining again? Then these steps that Peter gave to reach a place of being holy as God is holy now goes to a place where we are willing to hear the sentinels cry out to us along the way. You call on the Father, know this, who without respect of persons judgeth every man according to his work. Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. So we need to hear these voices crying out to us so that we will live the life that will bring glory, glory to God and to the Redeemer who has purchased us with his own blood. Father, thank you for reminders from your word. Thank you for exhortations. Thank you for stating clearly what our duties are. You've not left us in doubt. You've told us again today what our duties are. Help us, Father, as your children to be willing to yield and submit to those things you've called us to do. And grant us the grace we need to continue to be strong in the work that you've assigned to us. Help us to be workmen concerning our life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.